Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, the Bible tells us of a story of when Jesus was ministering at the Lake Gennesaret. The Bible tells us there, the multitude were gathered to be able to hear him. And as they gathered, the Lord Jesus Christ now saw a boat, two boats particularly, and asked one of the owners of the boat, which was Simon, to push back a little bit so that he can have a floating pulpit. Bible says that as he stepped out a little bit, he stepped into the boat and taught the people. And after teaching the people, one of the things you will notice with the Almighty God is that when you provide yourself for service, when you provide your means for service, when you provide your resources, your talent, whatever the Lord has given unto you, if you provide it for his service, it never takes it and walks away. The Lord Almighty will always reward it. And that's exactly what he did here. The Bible told us that after ministry, he told Simon, he said, Simon, push back a little bit. Let down your nets so that you can draw in the catch. And Simon Peter, being a very, very experienced fisherman, said, Hey, pastor, I know that you are very good in this, your business of preaching, but this is my own business. I know how to fish. And I've fished all night, and I haven't caught anything. But he said, At your word, nevertheless, at your word, I will do that. And the Bible tells us in verse number 6, that Simon dropped his net, and he caught so much fish, that his net was about to break, and he signaled to his partners to come in and help out. Now, that is not the story that I want to tell you this morning. The story that I want to tell you this morning is found in verse number 8. In verse number 8, the Bible told us that after they've done that, Simon Peter now told the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That is a very unusual response. After you have just received a boatload of fish, you will expect, if Simon was living in America today, you will expect that he will try and form a contract with the Lord Jesus Christ. Try and get a patent so that Jesus will always be by his side, so that he always catch more fishes. If I were him, I would do that. I mean, if the guy can tell you, drop your net on the right side, tomorrow morning I said, do you want me to put it on the left so that we can get more? That would be my strategy. But what Peter did, what Peter said, you seem to be too nice for me. Just stay away from me. The question is, why did Peter respond the way he did? Why did he respond the way he did? Which was completely contrary to the way many of us would have responded. I want you to hold your thoughts. And go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Jericho. There was a man that was there. A very rich tax collector was there. And this guy wanted to see our Lord Jesus Christ. But the guy had a little problem. And that problem was that he was vertically challenged. Which means if he's in the midst of the group, he will not be able to see. So the guy decided, I am still determined to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I will run ahead of the crowd and then climb on top of a tree so that I can see this guy. So he did that ran on top of a massacre tree, stood there waiting to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Jesus got there, the Bible said Jesus looked up, looked at him and said, hey, my friend, come down. It's time for you to come down because I'm doing what? I am going to be visiting with you today. 
And if you look at the story, the story is not that Zacchaeus went on top of the tree. The story was that the response of Zacchaeus when Jesus Christ said, I was going to visit with you in your house today. Look at verse number 8 of Luke chapter 19. The Bible said, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything, can you imagine? Somebody who is a tax collector is saying, If I have taken anything. But that's the story for another day. He said, If I have taken anything from anyone for a false accusation, he said, I restore it fourfold. Again, the question is this. Why would somebody, why would somebody like Zacchaeus, who has acquired his wealth in some very funny way, want to respond, want to release, want to refund, want to restore the things that he has taken? Why? Why did Zacchaeus respond the way he did? What caused a tax collector suddenly to give away his ill-gotten wealth? Why would a tax collector want to do that? I want you to hold your thought there again. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. The Bible tells us there, Paul the Apostle was speaking to the Galatian church, and he was telling them about his own experience. He was telling them about the bold declaration. In verse number 8, Paul the Apostle made a statement. He said that if anybody adds to this particular gospel of the, of the kingdom, he said, let that person be accursed. In other words, he made some very, very bold declaration as to those who are trying to perverse the word of the Almighty God. By the time you get to verse number 11 of that Galatians, the Bible says that Paul was talking about how he was called as an apostle. And then he went on in verse number 18, he was telling them how he visited Jerusalem to meet with Peter, who was the pillar of the church at that point in time. But the story is not there. The story is in verse number 22. If you start reading from verse number 22, the Bible tells us there. It said, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. In other words, they don't know him physically, but they've heard about him. Verse number 23, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. In other words, here was a guy who was destroying the church. Now he's now the one trying to build the church. And the question is... Why would somebody who was a former persecutor of the church now become the person who is now proclaiming the same word he was trying to destroy? What happened? What changed the life of Paul the Apostle? What caused him to become the proclaimer of the word that he was trying to destroy? What caused a particular person who was an enemy, a sworn enemy of the church, to now become the defender of the faith? My brothers and sisters, I will tell you on this. The reason for the transformation of men like Paul, the reason for a person who was a persecutor of the church, now becoming a defender of the church, is the same reason why a man like Zacchaeus, who has acquired his wealth in an ill-gotten way, was willing to give back his money. It is the same reason why you have a man like Peter, who after receiving the miracle of the Almighty God, was now saying, Jesus, please go away from me. And what is that reason? The reason is the essence why we celebrate Christmas. The reaction that we have seen from these three different individuals that we have talked about is the reaction of the people who have encountered the Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. The reason that these people behaving the way they are doing is the reason that you see people who have encountered the word of God, the eternal word of God that has become flesh. When you have encountered him, when you come in contact with him, when you have met him, something changes. And you begin to do things that you normally will not do. Many of us who are familiar with the church here, you hear me say this thing. I said, if you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing changes in your life, two things have happened. Number one, you have met the wrong Jesus. Number two, you have not met him at all. Because there is no way you will meet Jesus and something will not change in your life. It is not possible. 
That's why the Bible tells us, he said that he that is in Christ is a new creation. He said, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. There are many of us who walk around and say that we are believers, but we have no idea what we are even talking about. Many are saying they are on the journey to heaven. They have not even started the journey. Many say that they are walking with the Almighty God. They don't even have the relationship with the God that they are walking with. The Bible makes us to understand that the people that we see, Paul the Apostle, Zacchaeus, and Simon, their reaction was because they met the eternal word of God that became flesh. And I tell you, my brothers and sisters, when you meet that particular word that has become flesh, three things happen. The first one is that there will be an awareness of sin in your life. Because as soon as you come in contact with him, you will realize, I am not what I'm supposed to be. That was what happened to Peter. The Bible says as soon as he came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he realized that this is the Son of God, immediately the realization of his own sin came alive. And he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. The same thing happened to Isaiah. The Bible said, as soon as he got a revelation of heaven, he said that the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, he said, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw a revelation of heaven. And as soon as I saw the revelation of heaven, and I saw how God was being glorified and magnified by the host of heaven, he said, I said to myself in verse number 5, they want to me if I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. This was the same guy who had been prophesying before then. But the day he got the revelation of heaven, the day he saw that the heavens were opened and he saw the majesty of the Almighty God, he realized that it was nothing. And the closer you get to God, the more you begin to see yourself. Many of us, if you have this white shirt right now, it might look very, very clean. But when you get to a room well lit, you begin to see the spots and the stain that are on your white shirt become very obvious. The closer you are to the Almighty God, the closer you begin to see the things that are wrong with you. That's what happened when you meet the eternal word of God that became flesh. Number two thing that happened is that when a man or a woman encounters the power of the word that has become flesh, that man or a woman begins to see the need for them to correct their ways. Immediately you come in contact with Christ and you realize what you are. You realize what he has done for you and that revelation hits you. The first thing you want to do is, God, I know I have messed up. There is always a desire for amendment. There's always a desire for restitution. And that was what happened to Zacchaeus. As soon as he came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, he realized that he has been living a life apart from the Almighty God. He has been living a life that is worthy of the judgment of heaven. And the next thing he wanted to do was, how do I make a cost correction? How do I amend my ways? How do I restitute? How do I make up for the things that I've done in the past? That is what happens when you come in contact with the Almighty God. But if you say you have met with the Lord and you are not willing to change anything and you are still justifying your way, something is wrong with the Jesus that you met. It's not the same Jesus. That Jesus will not take you anywhere. That Jesus is not going to take you from this place. If you met Jesus and nothing changes, if you met Jesus and you have no need for amending of your ways, if you met Jesus and there's no need for restitution, and you met Jesus, there's nothing in your life that you need to correct. You met Jesus and you are fine. Something is wrong with that Jesus. Anyone who met Jesus, there is always something that you know you need to correct. Our people in the neck of the wood where I come from say what is not good requires prayer. What is actually good also requires prayer. If you are a good person, upright, morally standing person, when you meet Jesus, you will realize the word of God that says our righteousness is like a filter rag before the Almighty God. So that tells us, number one, when you meet the eternal word that became flesh, you become conscious of your sin. When you meet the eternal word of God that became flesh, you begin to make amendment and restitution. And number three, when you meet the eternal word of God, what you find is that you begin to have the desire not just to proclaim, but to defend the truths that you have already got in contact with. 
Because that's what happened to Paul the Apostle. When Paul was walking in darkness, he understood. He understood that I'm going to destroy this thing because I believe it's contrary to the faith of my father. But as soon as he came in contact with the Almighty God, and he realized that this is the path of destruction, the Bible says that he now began to proclaim that same truth. He now began to defend that same truth that he was willing to destroy. How many of us, if you truly love your friends, family, and you find a place where they are going to find some goodies, aren't you going to tell them? You may not tell your enemies, but at least you will tell your friends. That is what happens when you find eternal life. That's what happens when you find the joy of Christ in your life. These three things that I've outlined are just a few of the things that happens when a man encounters the word that has become flesh. John chapter 1, reading from verse number 14, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was nothing made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John witnesses the true light. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came to bear witness to the light, for and that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness to the light. That was the true light. We give light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The world became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you look at verse number 14 of that verse of scripture that we've read, the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. The question is, what does it mean for the word to become flesh? What does it mean for the word to become flesh? When the word becomes flesh in your life, what it means is that the word of God is fulfilled in your life. The word becomes flesh when the reality of the promise of God is now present in your life. The word becomes flesh when faith is transformed into life in your life. In other words, when you are believing God for something and you are trusting God for something and that thing transformed from just believing, moves from the arena of faith to the arena of reality. The word of God becomes flesh when the reality of Christ is now present in your life. When Christ is living through you, when Christ is walking through you, when Christ is operating through you, that's what it means when we're talking about the word of God becoming flesh. And this happens only when you surrender and you are obedient to the word of God. The Bible tells us that when Mary was visited, it said the spirit of the Almighty God will come upon you. And when that spirit comes upon you, it said a child will be born of you, and that child will be called the Son of God. That particular word that was spoken by the angel unto Mary was the promise of the word of God. And that word became flesh. The realization of that particular word, the manifestation of that word became flesh. We saw him in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it means. When we say the word becomes flesh, it means that Christ becomes a reality in your life. There's a difference between knowledge about Christ and experiencing Christ. Two different things. Two different things when you hear about Christ and when you know about Christ. Two different things between when you are talking about Christ and when you are actually walking with Christ. Two different things. So please understand, when you are talking about the word becoming flesh, we are talking about the reality of Christ living inside of you. 
I remember having an argument here with a professor when I was doing the graduate program, and the professor was talking about the fact that there was nothing called miracles. And then I asked him, I said, if I ate apple pie this morning and you are not there, does that mean that there's no apple pie? The fact that you have not seen something, does that mean that things does not exist? No. How many of us can say that you look at the life of a man and you look at the microscope and you find the word love in the blood swimming up and down? You don't see it. But does that mean that it doesn't exist? Now, some might be asking, how does this happen? How does this word become flesh in my life? Number one, the word becomes flesh in your life when you hear the word. The Bible makes us understand that faith comes by hearing, the hearing the word of God. When you hear the word of God and it mixes with faith, that starts the process of the word becoming flesh. The word becomes flesh when you accept the word that has been spoken. There are many who have heard the word. There are many who have been exposed to the word. There are many who have been under the influence of the word, but they have not accepted it. And only the word that you accept will do you good. So, the first process is number one, to hear the word. Then you accept the word. Then you believe what you hear. I can accept that the chair can carry my weight, but unless I believe it, I will not sit on it. If I believe this chair is not strong enough to carry my weight, you can tell me all the good qualities of this chair. How beautiful it looks, the color is wonderful, it is well positioned, but I will never sit on it because if I believe it doesn't carry my weight. But if I believe it is strong enough to hold my weight, I will sit on it. So it's one thing to hear, it's another thing to accept, it's another thing to believe. And that is why the way the word becomes flesh in your life is to believe. Not only that, not just believe, you have to respond and you have to act. What you believe is revealed in how you behave and how you act. I love you with the love of the Lord, but inside of my heart there's something that is just pissed off. I can say that until I turn blue in the face. It is how I act towards you that tells me whether I love you or I despise your face. So the idea is, number one, it's not just to hear. It's not just to believe. It's not just to accept. But at the same time, to respond and to act in consonance with the things that you have heard and you have accepted. And then you cooperate with the process. There are so many people that God wants to do something in their life. He wants to visit them. He wants to take away that addiction. He wants to take away certain things in their life. But they are in a serious battle with the Almighty God. And as long as you are battling with Him, God is a perfect gentleman. He will never battle with you. Because if it battles with you, you are not going to be in a good shape. You won't be in a good shape. So you have to cooperate with the Almighty God. And that's why the Bible says that we are co-laborers with the Almighty God. In other words, we walk together with Him. If God wants to accomplish anything in our lives, you have to walk with Him. And that is why He tells you. The Bible says that He stands at the door knocking. It's not that He cannot kick the door open. But He chooses not to kick the door open. He does what? He said, I stand at the door knocking. He said, whosoever will do what? Whosoever will open the door and allow me, that is the person that I will come into. That's cooperation. You have to cooperate with him. You have to open the door for him to come in. He will never force himself in. He will never. And not only that, it's not just opening the door for him. You have to surrender yourself under his leadership. The Bible says, submit yourself unto God. There has to be an element of submission. Those are the kind of words that in our society we find very offensive when we hear the word submission. But submission doesn't mean you become a slave. It doesn't mean that you abandon your reason. It doesn't mean that you become subservient. It doesn't mean that you check out your brain. It simply means that you are putting yourself under somebody's authority. It simply means that you are saying, yes, I recognize your headship. I recognize your leadership. I recognize the position that you take in my life. That's basically what it means. And the Lord is saying that if you are going to see the word become flesh in your life, there has to be that element of surrender. Two of us cannot drive this ship together or else we are going to end up in a place we don't want to end up. 
So that's the need for surrender. And the question is, what happens in the life? What happens in my life? What happens in your life when the word of God becomes flesh? When you encounter Jesus and he does what he does in your life, and he does what he does in my life, what happened? What do you see? The first thing that you see that happens is that heaven begins to rejoice. When the word becomes flesh in the life of an individual, there is that joy in heaven. The Bible says there is joy in heaven over one particular sinner that repents. In other words, as soon as the word begins to take form, as soon as it begins to get a foothold in your heart, and you begin to release yourself unto him, and then it begins to work of transformation in your life, what you find is that heaven begins to rejoice. The next thing is that the earth begins to notice. The earth will notice when something happens in your life. You are the one that can cause like a drunken sailor. Now you are not able to even say the words. You are the one that run after people and associate with the wrong set of people. Now you find your joy in the things of God. You are the one that is always opposed to the word of God. Now you are the one that actually proclaims the word of God. The people around you will notice when those kind of things happen. And then finally, hell will be enraged. Hell will be pissed off. There is this thing that is going on in the church. A lot of people believe this idea that as soon as you are born again, life becomes okay for you. Unfortunately, that is not so. It doesn't mean that your life is not going to be okay. It just means that you have just painted a target on your back and an enemy is now out for you. And that is why you find that when you become a Christian, things that were going on smoothly before, all of a sudden things begin to take a different turn. The reason is because hell is enraged. Now that you have been taken away from their kingdom. So three things happen. Heaven rejoices, the earth notices, and hell is enraged. And when Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, became flesh, the Bible makes us understand, the day he came in, the heavens were singing. The whole world noticed, and the hell was also pissed off, because Herod was looking for him to kill him. And it's still happening up till this point in time. It's still happening. There are people, the idea of the word Christian, just pisses them off. The idea that people are gathered and they're preaching and they're singing and they're calling upon the name of the Almighty God just does something in their system. It tosses them upside down that they want to use the bathroom. The point we're making is that hell is enraged when the word of God becomes flesh in your life. When the promise of God for your life becomes reality, people become angry. When the word of God for your family, the word of God for your children, the word of God for your finances, the word of God for your health, when those things become a reality, there are those who are opposed to those words and they will be angry. And that is why you yourself must know how to preserve it. Please understand. The fact that the word of God has come to pass in your life doesn't mean that's the end of the story. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, if he cannot steal, he will try to kill. If he cannot kill, he will try to destroy. He will go through that particular way. And that is why the fact that God has done something for you does not mean that is the time for you to kick your feet off and begin to seek margarita. That's not the time. It is the time for you to wake up and do some serious work. The fact that the promise of God has been actualized does not mean that life will go very smoothly. What it means is that there's a lot of work for you to do to sustain what God has done in your life. Jesus Christ said, watch and pray. We do the praying, but sometimes we don't do the watching. Because the watching part is the sustaining part. You have to be able to sustain it. Sustain the word of God that has become flesh in your life. And how do you sustain it? You sustain it, number one, through prayers. The Bible says you should pray without ceasing. Number two, you sustain it with the word of God. You cannot just pray without an understanding of the word of God. Number three, you sustain it through fellowship. The Bible says that do not forsake the assembly of one another together. Number four, you sustain it through watchfulness, through what comes out of your mouth, through how you relate with people, through how you respond, through how you conduct yourself. 
how you comport yourself, how you carry yourself, how you do things. You have to be able to do what? To be watchful. The Bible says, give not place to the devil. In other words, if you give an inch, the devil will take a mile. That is how you sustain the word of God. And as you sustain the word of God in your life that has become flesh, you will begin to see the blessings that begin to accompany you. And the first blessing that you begin to see is the blessing of faith. Your faith becomes enriched. Imagine you take the word of God. I like to use this example because a lot of people relate to it very, very easily. And that is the example of your money. The promise of the scriptures that give and it shall be given unto you, good measures, pressed down, shake it together, shall men give unto your bosom. If you give, and then it's given unto you, and you see the result, what happened? You are encouraged to do it the more. The Bible said that when you give your time, it will open the windows of heaven and it will bless you. The very minute you do it and you see the result, what happened? Nobody needs to preach to you anymore. So what I'm trying to say is that when you sustain the word of God, you begin to see the blessing of faith because your faith becomes stronger. There was a time when it was difficult for you to write a check for $10. But as you begin to see God move on your behalf and walk in your life and see the result of your actions of faith, what happened? It becomes easy to write a check for 20 It becomes easy to write a check for 30 because you are exercising and you are flexing the muscles of faith. And that is the blessings when the word becomes flesh in your life. Number two is the blessing of conviction. The Bible tells us, David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor he sees begging bread. Why was David able to see that? Because David has seen it happen. If you have seen the word of God come to life in your life, when you have seen God fulfill his promises in your life, when you have seen things happen, they can tell you all their cock and bull stories. You know what you know. The same thing when you have walked with God. And you have seen God walk on your behalf. And you have seen God move in your life. And you have seen the faithfulness of God all through the years. It strengthens your conviction. That's why the Bible tells in the book of Romans chapter 4. He said, Abraham, he believed God. And was counted out to reign for righteousness. Not that one. Contrary to faith, he believed in faith. Even when Sarah, his wife, was past age, he still believed that God was able to do it. Why? Because he has seen God walk with him over the years. He has seen God come true. He has seen God do a lot of interesting things. I mean, how do you want to convince somebody like Mary that God can produce a child? You know, how can you convince Mary otherwise that God can do the impossible? Because she has experienced the impossible. She has seen it. So when you are talking about God as a God of impossibility, she knows what you are talking about. And that's what happens. When the word becomes flesh in your life, what happens is that you see the blessings of conviction. Because you are sure of what you do. You are sure of how God has worked with you. Number three, you see the blessings of hope. Because you know that no matter how the situation is, no matter how bad the condition is, God is always coming through. Those are the blessings. And not only that, you have the blessings of joy because you know that regardless of what happens, the joy of the Lord is what? It's your strength. Those are some of the blessings that you have. Now in closing, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God that became flesh, I want you to know that the eternal word is still becoming flesh in the lives of many today. In other words, the eternal word of God is still becoming flesh, even when people are criticizing it. The eternal word of God is still becoming flesh, even when people are mocking it. The eternal word of God is still becoming flesh, even when people are persecuting the word. The eternal word of God is still becoming flesh, even if hell is pissed off at our gathering here. The eternal word of God is still becoming flesh, because you see it in the millions of people whose life have been transformed over the ages, and whose life are still currently being transformed. But what the Bible tells us something in the book of John chapter 12. If you read from verse number 32, Jesus Christ said, He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. In other words, 
as long as I am lifted up, that word will continue to become flesh in the lives of those who see me. That word will continue to become flesh in their circumstances. Their word will continue to become flesh in their family, in the life of their children, in their career, in everything they lay their hands upon. The promise of the Almighty God will become flesh. That word can become flesh in your own life also. If you will only trust Him. For those who have not yet been saved, the only way the word can become flesh in your life is when you make that particular transition. From the kingdom where you are currently to the kingdom of the Almighty God. For some other people, the word needs to become flesh in your finances. For some others, the word will become flesh in your relationship, in your marriage, in the life of your children, concerning your career. That is where you need the word of God to become flesh. Wherever you need the word of God to become flesh, Jesus is still in the business of visiting his people. And he will do it if you will invite him. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.